Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. When I was in the sixth grade, we sent out invitations to my, I don't remember, 11 or 12-year-old birthday party. And sixth grade was different for me because all the kids that I had grown up with, kindergarten through fifth grade, I was no longer in the same class with them. We went to middle school. And so I had a whole new set of friends. And even the students, even the friends that I was with, kindergarten through fifth grade, they weren't in my classes in the sixth grade. And so I had a whole new set of friends. And when I sent out invitations, I only sent them to my current classmates. I, I wasn't even thinking about the friends that I had had for my previous five or six years. And um, the party, the day of the party came, and the classmates that I invited came in. And then there was a sixth grade student that crashed my party. And uh, I just remember thinking, I didn't invite this guy, but we had been friends for a really long time. And when he came in, and, you know, we were talking, and I, I had to ask the question, you know, you're, you're here, but I know I didn't send you an invitation. And he said, Dale, we've been friends since kindergarten. Why wouldn't you invite me to your party? And I, I didn't realize, you know, I was, I was, I'm still kind of dumb, but I was even more dumb then. And I didn't realize how important it was to this, this guy who was my friend to receive an invitation to just a stupid middle schooler birthday party. Have you ever been in that position where you didn't get the invitation or you were left out or uh, you, you maybe inadvertently hurt somebody's feelings and maybe, maybe it wasn't on purpose or, or this would be the worst, right? If you were the person who deliberately didn't invite so you could hurt somebody's feelings. In today's scripture, we're going to look at today uh, out of Luke chapter 14, Jesus is invited to this dinner party, and he is all about the invitation. And he doesn't want us to miss out on how he invites us to participate in God's kingdom. Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14? And then we'll see, I'm going to read the, uh, a pretty lengthy passage, verses 1 through 24, and you'll see some of the invitations Jesus is holding out for us to take hold of. Pretty important invitations as well. The people he was eating with were we're talking about meals with Jesus. The people he was eating with, they were just not grasping how important and how uh, hurtful their own invitations had been. And Jesus was trying to transform their hearts so that they would know how to invite people into the kingdom of God. Here it is, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. 
When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly in the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I will tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I think there's three invitations that Jesus wants us to see in this passage of Scripture. And they kind of go like this. Jesus is inviting us to, number one, help others. And Jesus is inviting us, number two, to humble ourselves. And number three, to hearten, hearten, H-E-A-R-T-E-N, hearten outsiders. Help others, humble ourselves, and hearten outsiders. Number one, help uh, help others. Jesus here on the Sabbath day has already been teaching all through the Gospel of Luke how they are supposed to treat the Sabbath, how they're supposed to use the Sabbath. In fact, in uh, Luke chapter 6, he starts giving instructions on the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 6, he says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. So that means he gets to tell us how to use the Sabbath. They were using the Sabbath to hinder the kingdom of God. They were using the Sabbath thinking they were honoring God, but they were using it in such a way that it dishonored God. And so Jesus comes along. He says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm going to teach you what you should be doing on this day that you set apart for the Lord. And then uh, continuing in chapter six, he says uh, this, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus So they watched him closely to see if he was healed on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to him, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them and and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. Here was a miraculous intervention on the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, and they were mad that he did it. 
because they had all these rules on what you were supposed to do when you went to church. But none of the rules helped the kingdom of God. And Jesus is teaching them, on the Sabbath, you're supposed to help others. He does the same thing in chapter 13. Just a a couple of pages over, he gives another example of what to do on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching one of the synagogues, and a woman who was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten up. What do you think Jesus did with this woman? He gave her relief. Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and what we should do on the Sabbath is help others and see if we can bring about relief in whatever way we can. I don't have a gift of healing where I can straighten somebody's back or make somebody's hands stretch out and be whole again. But there are often opportunities that I miss. I miss the invitation to go and relieve somebody's suffering because I'm, maybe I'm distracted, maybe I'm not thinking clearly, or maybe I just don't have my eyes open to the suffering around us. Last night, our Mexico mission team got back to the States. They, they came in around midnight. They were plane landing around midnight. And, you know, we had some adults and some students that had never been on a short-term mission trip. And every time, every single time, a group from our church or anywhere goes on a short-term mission trip. And uh, anytime this happens, there is this mindset that we're going to go help somebody. And they did. They built this home. They were in the process of building this home for a family who had done community service projects to have their home. But every time, every time, you go with the mindset you're going to help somebody, and you come back with the mindset just your eyes are open to all sorts of different ways you can help other people. This is the heart transformation that Jesus is talking about, that we should honor God with our lives, helping others, helping to relieve sufferings. It's an invitation straight from Jesus to participate in his kingdom work. In Luke chapter 4, one of the first teachings that Jesus gave, oh, I really love this. He, he was given a scroll, and he stood up to teach, and he turned to the place in the scroll. I guess he unrolled to that place, and he read from the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah in, uh, was talking about what the Jewish people would call the year of Jubilee. And so uh, there's this Sabbath system set up in the scripture. Every seven days, you're supposed to rest and worship the Lord. And this is the Sabbath that had, they had built all these rules around. And then every 49 years, every seven, seven, seven times seven, the 50th year was supposed to be a year of Jubilee, where they didn't work and God would provide for them, where they didn't have to plant or, harp, or they didn't have to plant because God would make the crops just grow. And there was this huge thing where if you had gotten into debt, the debt was relieved on the year of Jubilee. If you had had to sell your land because God said, all the land belongs to me, I'm going to divide it up by the tribes of people. And if you end up selling that to somebody else, it doesn't belong to them because on the year of Jubilee, it comes back to your family. So Isaiah is talking about the year of Jubilee. Nowhere in the history of Judaism can we ever find an example of them practicing the year of Jubilee. In fact, God said he exiled them to Babylon because they never practiced the Sabbath Jubilee. And here Jesus is reading from the scroll about the year of Jubilee, and this is what he says. This is what he reads. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Listen to what Jesus does today. He proclaims good news to the poor. He's relieving suffering. He's giving hope. He's helping others. He proclaims freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, sets the oppressed free, and proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. But you know the year of Jubilee in Christ doesn't just last a day, and it doesn't just last a year. It lasts ever since his reign has begun. So today is the day that we're supposed to be serving the Lord, helping others to set the captives free, to provide relief. The invitation, if you can hear today, the invitation is for today for you to help others. Today, have your eyes open to see needs. Today, move into a situation where you can bring somebody out and provide relief. As long as it's today, if you can hear God's voice, respond As long as it's today. Jesus says in Luke 9, if you want to follow me, then you got to take up your cross daily. As long as Jesus reigns, it's the right day. The invitation is extended to you, the right day to help others. Last week, we had this opportunity as a congregation to come together and pack 20,000 meals where we helped others. Um, I recorded three testimony interviews, but I am not a video editor. And I got one of them kind of edited. And we'll show some others on Facebook the rest of the week, and maybe we'll bring them back in church. But I do have a video testimony about somebody in our church using the meal pack just to help others. Would you take a look at this video of Hodge and Diane Drake? Hi, I'm Hodge Drake, and this is my wife, Diane. Uh, First of all, I was totally unprepared for Sunday. It came as a surprise. I was handed a hairnet and communion, and I knew I was in for something really (laughs) different. Um, And the the thing that struck me the most about this is that this was actual service. You know, we Christians talk about gathering for the service, and there's usually... Uh, communion, a a sermon, uh, and then we go out. And I remember a pastor one time saying, the sermon has ended, the service has begun. And Sunday was a service. We got to be the hands and feet of Christ and feed uh, people who are in distress, people that we don't know, but God knows. And that left the greatest impression on me. And for me, it um, it was good for me to be able to participate in something practical, you know, something where we all work together and just in a couple hours we're able to impact and help thousands of people, you know, and that's not something you can say you can do every day. So that left an impression. Who did you get to work with at your table? I think uh, we were working primarily with with family. I know uh, Diane's mother was there, her sister Martha, and uh, her husband Mike uh, O'Rourke was there as well. So it was good to work with family. I would do it again. In fact, I talked uh, with uh, with Christy and Keith later about 
uh, doing another one for maybe Kenya. We, we support a mission in Kenya. And, um, and they said, yeah, it doesn't need to be Haiti. Um, it, it could be, as, as this was for Ukraine, could be any needy people. So, uh, so we were excited about that. In Luke chapter 14, that passage we read, Jesus asked a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And the point he's trying to make is don't miss the invitation to participate in God's kingdom and help others. Number two, Jesus says we need to humble ourselves. We've talked a little bit about how the meals, the last couple of weeks, how the meals were set up in these kind of symposiums where uh, the tables would be kind of low to the ground where they're kind of laying on their side, leaning on their side, leaning on a pillow. They're all around like a maybe a U-shaped, and the dinner is in front of them. They're dipping their hands in it, and there was a, a place of honor in that horseshoe shape where the guest of honor would sit, and then everybody else would have to figure out their exact social status by where they sit according to the place of honor and the host. And he saw people scrambling, hoping that if they sat in the right seat, maybe the table setting would transfer to their social status and their honor in their, in their eyes and other people's eyes would be raised because they sat in the right seat. He saw them scrambling, maybe even ruthlessly. Kind of, can you imagine grown adults playing musical chairs at a dinner where they have to find out who gets the seat of honor. Jesus doesn't want us to act that way. He invites us to humble ourselves. In chapter 14, verse 7, he, he sees them picking the places of honor, and he says, no, 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 pick a low seat, and then if your host wants to move you up, then you'll be honored in front of everybody. But if you pick the wrong seat and the host moves you down, that's humiliating. You know, if you start off in a humble attitude, you're going to end up seeing more people in need and acting more like Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, it kind of tells us this way. Um, in verse 11 of 14, he says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. In Philippians chapter 2, it kind of describes the attitude that we need to imitate Jesus, a humble attitude. Paul says it this way, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't spend your time playing musical chairs. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, Jesus invites us to help others, but he wants us to do it from a transformed heart perspective, where our attitude is right, where we are looking to help others because we are putting their needs ahead of our own. Following Jesus is hard. We have to batter and beat and get rid of our own selfish desires. And as long as it's today, we're going to have that battle. But the more you do it, the more you spend time practicing doing it, living like Christ calls us to live, living, imitating Jesus, the easier it is 
to begin getting rid of those selfish desires and taking on this attitude of Christ. In your relationships with one another, Paul continues, Philippians, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in his very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're supposed to take on this attitude of Jesus to humble ourselves, put other people's needs above our own, and that's our whole lifestyle. That's what Jesus means by you have to take up your cross daily. I am uh, participating in pre-marriage counseling for a couple in our church, and the husband-to-be, there goes the invitation, the husband-to-be and the wife-to-be, they are learning about how to sacrificially serve each other. And they have to do this battle of say, no, you first, no, you first, no, you first, no, you first. See who can top each other in letting the other person go first. As long as it's today, that's the day to act in this manner, to have the same attitude. There's a meme on uh, Facebook and on Twitter, and the meme uh, goes something like this. It says, uh, how old were you when you learned this obscure fact? And the response a lot of times is, I'm today years old. I'll give you an example. How old were you when you learned how long the legs of an owl are? They're very long. I had no idea. I was yesterday days old when I found that out because I found that picture yesterday. So a lot of you would be able to respond with, I'm today years old when I found out how long owl's legs were. Oh, here's, an, here's another one. Here's another one. I, I didn't know this. Screwdrivers have, this, uh, have this, uh, these ridges built in. Have anybody held a screwdriver and they notice the handle is not just perfectly circular, has ridges? How old were you when you learned that the ridges are there so you can attach a wrench to the back of the screwdriver to give you more leverage on turning a screw? Who knew that already? Oh, I'm the only loser guy that didn't know that. <laughs> How old were you when you heard break a leg, but you realize they're telling you to break a leg because they hope you get in the cast. Today's years old, right? You just went, oh, that's, that means you were today's years old when you found that out. Or when somebody said, hold your horses, it means you're kind of acting weird and you need to be stable. Okay, how old were you when you found that out today? Today years old? How old were you when you saw the farmer holding the pitchfork portrait, and you realized that that's not the farmer and his wife, but the farmer and his daughter. Oh, today years old. I heard somebody say, oh, <laughs> you already knew that. Okay, okay. Listen, how old are you when you realize that Jesus calls you to have the attitude of Christ and take up your cross today, to put others in front of you today, to seek, to serve, to help others today. How old were you when you got the invitation 
to humble ourselves and to help others. And it's okay. It's okay if you are today years old that you begin to recognize in your own heart that you have not been putting other people first, but you've been selfishly holding on to your own desires. It's okay if today is the first time you get this invitation from Jesus to participate in his kingdom. It's just not okay to not participate. In the parable Jesus tells next in, in, in Luke chapter 14, there were several people that got invited to the banquet that made excuses, and they never got to come. They never got to join in. And Jesus is not only inviting us to participate in the kingdom, but he's giving us a warning not to ignore the invitation. We need to help others. We need to humble ourselves. And number three, we need to start inviting others to join in to the same invitation we've received. We become the invitation bearers, and we have to hearten outsiders. Hearten is a word to encourage. In the scripture in chapter 14, he uses the word compel. That's a strong word. Persuade, force people to join into the kingdom work. I, I don't think it means quite force, like you grab them and you make them. But it means we put a lot of effort into bringing somebody along. Listen to this invitation that this uh, host gives. And I think it's a parable about Jesus' invitation to join into the kingdom. You know, there's a lot of scripture about the meal that we're going to participate in heaven with God. In Exodus uh, chapter 24, when they, after they received the Ten Commandments, Moses and the elders went up on the mountain with God and they ate with God. And we see a picture of that all the way in Revelation where it says, Praise be to God, the marriage supper of the Lamb has arrived, and the righteous are clothed in white. And, the, and it says the white represents their righteous deeds, and they get to eat with God. We get to have a banquet with God. Jesus shows us what a resurrected body is going to be like from his resurrected body. You know, he was able to hug people. He was able to eat food. He was spending time with people. He tells us and shows us what our resurrected body is going to be like in the new earth and new heaven. Don't miss out on the invitation. But we don't want other people to miss out on the invitation either. And so in this parable, Jesus tells, the host gives three invitations. The first invitation goes out, and there were some that made excuses, and they didn't join in. The second invitation goes out, and he said, you go grab people. Grab the people who are outside the blind, the lame, the poor, the crippled. Bring them in. In the meals of Jesus' day, the meal he was at especially was a sign of social status. And it also drew a line in the sand on who was in socially and who was out. And Jesus wants us to wipe that line away and he wants us to go find people so that they can be in the kingdom. He doesn't want us to draw lines on, based on wealth or based on appearance or based on skin color. You know, we talk about this last couple of years, a lot of racism been in the, in the news. When we start inviting people in the kingdom of God, we start humbling ourselves, we start helping others, it destroys racism. There's a lot of division between just 
I mean, in our own church, we have people who are politically right, politically left, but when you start humbling yourselves and we start looking for, to help others, it destroys that division. It unites us under one cause. When we humble ourselves, like I think of uh, Gene Breckel over here, he's running our nursery. He just turned 80 years old. Every week, you can come in this building and you will see Mr. Gene on his knees in the nursery, hand washing every single individual toy so that come Sunday, when little kids go in there, they have clean toys to play with. When you have a humble attitude like this and you help others like him, it gets rid of any line of division. They all alike began to make excuses. They cared more about the possessions of this world and their relationships in this world than they cared about their relationship with Jesus. So the host sent out the second invitation. Go out quickly in the streets and alleys down, bringing the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The outsiders get to come in by the invitation of Jesus Christ. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Now here's where the compelling starts. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. That word compel, persuade, make, force. You know, I think it has less to do with forcing people to want Jesus and more to do with the effort we put in to help them come to faith. The people who are standoffish, we befriend them. The people who are a little weird, we just spend time with them. They figure out, oh yeah, we're weird too. The people who have no family, no friends, we become their family and friends. And so the compelling happens because we're showing the transformation of our hearts in Christ where we are humble and we're looking to help other people. That's what compels them to come into the kingdom. Right next door to our church is a Graphics to Go, and PJ Addison comes to church here. Uh, he, he is uh, part of the ownership of Graphics to Go, and he has rented out the space in the back of Graphics Go, he rented out a space to another graphics company. There's enough graphics that need to be done in Wilmington that he can house and rent a space to another guy who does graphics. That guy's name is Dave. You'll see him over there. He's got a white truck. He's got a white beard. And him and I spent an hour and a half talking about Jesus the other night. He's so close to being a believer. And you know what's going to compel him? It's not going to be me going over and handcuffing him and bringing him in here and forcing him to be dunked underwater. The compelling is going to happen if I go back and spend another hour with him, if we go get a cup of coffee, if he allows me to come make a visit to his home. The compelling is going to happen when he sees Jesus in us. And you know what that looks like? On our knees, washing every individual toy. You know what it looks like? It, it looks like us gathering together to pack meals. You know what it looks like? It looks like what we would all consider just a no-account invitation, but over time, with love, with a humble attitude, becomes the most important invitation anybody would ever hear. 
Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on participating in his kingdom work to help others, to humble ourselves, and to hearten, encourage, compel outsiders to come in. There's a way to respond to this teaching in the scripture, and that's to start doing it. But a lot of times we think, how can we begin immediately to respond in scripture? And I'll tell you, the, the best way, to, the first thing we have to respond to is we need to turn to Jesus. We turn to Jesus and we, we confess our sin where we haven't sought to help others. We haven't humbled ourselves. We haven't gone out to gather outsiders and bring them in. We confess those sins. And then we turn to Jesus again and we realize he gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace and he covers over any mistakes we made. And then he empowers us to go out and be, be the followers of Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.